Yeah, in 2003, Ann and I showed up in Dallas at Camino Global's uh, headquarters, and uh, one of the very first pe people we met w was uh, Brian Masters, and he was extremely kind to us. Um, he was in charge of IT. He wasn't Hope Coffee at the time. He was IT at the time, but he just showed us such kindness, and so we remember him very, very favorably, uh, you know, since the beginning of our journey with Camino 19 years ago. Um, and he kind of had this hope that he could do something, you know, to help support to businesses, missions type thing, and that's what he got doing. So it's cool. I'll send him an email and say, hey, you got prayed for today. Your Hope Coffee did. So, hey, let me move this so I can see over here a little bit. Okay, the message today is the ripple effect of a woman's faith. This is the last, it's kind of a summary. It kind of winds up um, the book of Ruth for us. And Dean doesn't know this. We're going to do this like rap. I'm going to do a verse. He's going to do a verse. I'm going to, it's going to be cool. You know, David, you can help us with that sometime, you know. Dean's kind of getting a little, you know. Um, the ripple effect of a woman's faith. Now, this is Anne's message, all right. She taught this about a month ago in, um, in Albania. We went over to a women's conference, and this was Anne's, uh, she did one of, the, one of the preliminary sessions, and this was her message, all right? Not about Ruth, but about the ripple effect of a woman's faith. And so I've kind of stole this uh, to make it easy on myself, all right? And I'm going to do the best I can to stay honest to Anne's uh, emphasis, all right? Um, but I'm going to take it and put it into, con into the context of the book of Ruth, all right? Now, you guys don't tune me out, all right? I think it's very important for us, one, that we embrace the way that God uses women in the advancement of his kingdom. He uses women in a, in a special way, I think. And it's important for us as men in the church, in the kingdom of God right now, to understand that and to embrace it, all right? To honor it, to, to help the gals, the ladies around us flourish the best we can. And also, there is application for us as men also. So you guys, even though this is about the ripple effect of a woman's faith, and it's a message that had its origin in a woman's conference, stay with me. Okay? Phil, okay? All right, good. All right, good. Um, so the ripple effect of a woman's faith, the ripple effect. So it, it's helpful for us to think about this like a, a pebble or a stone, a rock, right? And there's a pond out there or a body of water. And we take the, the pebble and we throw it and it lands in a pond and it produces ripples, right? So that's the, that's the setup for this. And the pebble is you, okay? It's me. It's you as an individual. So for you gals, it's you. That's the pebble right? And the pond is the context of life in which you find yourself, whatever that might be, right? And so God has taken you and he has thrown you into a certain situation, into a certain life, all right? 
And when you land in that, you're going to produce ripples. There's going to be a continuing impact on the life of others around you, right? And as the ripples go out, if there's a if there's a, you know, a, whatever they call those things, a, a pond lily, it makes it go like this or it bangs up against, you know, the side of a, a cave or a cliff or something like that. The ripple is, can have an impact. And so as we think about uh, the message today, right, the pebble, of course, is Ruth, right? It could be Naomi. The pebble could be Boaz also. And they were all in a certain particular life situation, and their life had impact. So the theme is that the choices that we make at the prompting of the Holy Spirit have ramifications for good beyond our wildest dreams. The choices that we make today right, as we live our life, they have the potential. God can use them for good in ways that we cannot even imagine. And this is important for us because we're going to make ripples in life, whether we know it or not, whether we care or not, we're making ripples right? We're having impact upon others. And they could be negative impacts. They could be worldly impacts. We could live our lives. Once we walk out the door on Sunday, we could live our lives like the world has told us to live our lives, right? Or as our culture has told us to live our lives. And if we do and we don't have Jesus-type ripples, we're going to have a negative impact on people, so it's just important for us to realize that God is using us in the situation where we are, all right, to accomplish his kingdom agenda. And the choices we make have ramifications far beyond what we can imagine, okay? So let's think a little bit about Ruth as a pebble pond ripple allegory and i wished i was c.s lewis because he would create some kind of beautiful story around this idea and i'm an engineer i'm not c.s lewis right but this is a story and if we can think about it i think it's cool it's interesting to me to think about it like that about a person in a life context and the impact that that person's life has. So Ruth as a pebble, okay, as an individual, she was young. Most likely she was young, right? She was a Moabite. She was born to, Moab, to Moabite parents. She had nothing to do with that. That's where God put her. And the story finds her as this woman. She was kind. I think it's pretty obvious the way she reacted to Naomi. Somehow in her life, she became a kind person. She was loyal, right? She was going to stick with Naomi, 
She had a commitment to the family that she was in. She was loyal. She was hardworking. She was. She goes out into the, to the fields and she gathers, right? So we have Ruth. This is who she is. She's standing here before us as a young, widowed, Moabite woman who is kind and hardworking and loyal, and we don't know what else. She may have had red hair. We don't know, right? We don't know anything else about her, I don't think, all right? And that's who she was. But she had faith. So she was a faith-infused pebble, right? And I just love the way I think, you know, Naomi says, hey, go back to your gods. And in chapter 1, Dean taught us, right? But Ruth said, entreat me not to to leave you or to turn back, Naomi, from following after you, right? For wherever you go, I'm going to go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge there. And your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. And I choose to interpret this as she decided, hey, I want to follow Yahweh. I understand he is the God that I want to be my God. And somehow Naomi, or, or somehow her son or husband, but probably Naomi introduced her to Yahweh. She was, Naomi was probably Ruth's discipler. And when time came, Ruth said, I want to go with you. I want to know your God. I want to follow your God. I grew up with these other gods. I grew up in this other system, right? But I understand that Yahweh is God, and I'm going to commit my life to Yahweh. Wherever you go, you're a Yahweh follower. Wherever you go, I'm going with you. If it leads into life, I'm going with you into life. If it leads into death, I'm going with you into death. Yahweh, I'm going to go. Your God is going to be my God. And he says, where you die, I'll die, right? Where, and there I'll be buried. The Lord, Yahweh, do so to me and more also of anything but death parts you and me. She calls Yahweh as witness to this. And this is a whole life commitment. She is leaving her life behind, and she was following Naomi into a land where Yahweh, where our God is her God. The God that we follow was the God that she chose to follow. You know, I think about Jesus when he tells his disciples, you know, if you don't forsake everything that you have, right? If you don't, he says, you know, if you don't hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sister, if you don't, if you value them more than you value me, you can't be my disciple. This is a picture of that, of Naomi. Go go back. Go to your family. No, I want to be with you. Your God will be my God. She made a whole life commitment to be, to go with Naomi, to follow 
Naomi's God. So that's a faith-infused young woman, widowed, a Moabite, all right, that apparently had a lot of character, right? Now the pond. The pond was Naomi's family in the beginning, right? She was in this life context of a widowed, a sonless widow, right? A woman who had been, whose husband had died and whose sons had died. And this was the family in which God lobbed her, okay? Um, it, and then she goes to a place that's not her place, that's got a different culture. I mean, think of all the, the how, how the Jewish faith impacted culture at the time and the rituals and the temple and stuff. She didn't know. She, she didn't know. Or the tabernacle, not the temple at the time, right? She didn't know. I don't know if she spoke the same language. Who knows, right? So she's, she's attached herself. She's in a family, no father-in-law, no, no sons, no uncles, no brother-in-laws, with this older woman that's a widow with no sons and nobody to take care of her, and they go into this situation. And in a culture I'm sure she did not understand fully. She understood some, but not fully. Uh, It was a difficult situation. Her life was not easy. And some of you gals here, you may have been in a situation when your life is not easy where it's like, what am I going to do, you know? Um, I don't, anyway. Um, The ripple, okay? Her heritage, what the outcome, how her life as she lived it in this situation, how it, impacted and we see that now Dean left me the uh, genealogy and it's exciting not really but Jeff is super interested in me trying to see how can somebody make a genealogy exciting right I'm sorry I don't think I can but let me read a little bit to you okay Uh, chapter 4 the end Dean touched on it last week so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and when he went into her the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son and the woman said the women said to Naomi blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may his name be famous interesting they talk to Naomi now Ruth has the baby and Naomi becomes the star Uh, and May he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better than you than seven sons. That's an amazing statement in this context, that this woman is better to you than seven sons. There is no, not one single Albanian woman that says, my daughter-in-law is better to me than seven sons. It's better than me than one son, all right? That culture over there on that side of the the Atlantic, okay, sons are the thing. This is an amazing thing. It says something about who Ruth was, all right? 
Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And the neighbor women gave him a name saying, gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. Ruth was the, was she the grandmother or great-grandmother? I wrote it down, right? She was... Ruth, Obed, Jesse, David, the great-grandmother of David. Who here remembers their great-grandmother? Okay, Carla, Dean, Paula. Back. That's cool, isn't it? I remember my great-grandmother. When Ann and I were married with children is when my great-grandmother passed away, Right? We have a picture of my son and me and my father and his mother and her mother. Yeah, all right. It's not many people get to see their great-grandmother, but she was the great-grandmother of David. There is no doubt in my mind that she did not have direct influence on David's life. Now, God may say, oh, come on, Alan, right? But I think she probably did. Um. And then the genealogy. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. That's interesting. Perez, or Perez, however you say it. He was the son of Perez, was a rabbinic expression for the Messiah. Okay, when they talked about the Messiah, they talked about the son of Perez. And uh, he beget Hezron, Hezron beget Ram, and Ram beget Aminadab, and Aminadab beget Nashon, and Nashon beget Salmon, and Salmon beget Boaz, and Boaz beget Obed, and Obed beget Jesse, and Jesse beget David. Right? So Perez was the son, one of the sons of Judah. And you may remember his wife Tamar, who happened to be his son's wife. All right, and his son passed away, and she didn't have a husband, so she faked being a prostitute and had relations with Perez, and they had a son, all right? And so when the sons, when Perez came out, his brother came out first. They were twins, and he stuck his hand out, and so the midwife tied her red strand around his wrist so they would know when they were born they wouldn't forget who came out who was the oldest right and so he pulls his hand back in right and then out comes Perez and his name's being break forth and so I think that's a pretty cool name for Messiah he breaks forth right he's the one that breaks forth that saves us he's the one that God sent in a special way um these are the exact same, this is the exact same genealogy that's found in uh, Matthew and found in Luke for the Christ. So not only did Ruth's ripples result in the Messiah, we are a continuing impact of her faith. Right? Because of Jesus, was in the line of David, and we are people that are believers in God because of what Jesus did. She impacted David, David through the generations to Jesus, and now Jesus to us. You know, you never know how far 
your impact, your ripples are going to go. They are multi-generational. The way that you, you, your faith impacts your life today has impact, is possible to have impact that you never dream of. You never, you don't even know it happens. You know, I trusted Christ when I was a young child. I was five years old, and it was a serious faith event. I remember it today like it happened yesterday, you know, 12 hours ago. It's when I chose to become a Jesus follower. Our family had moved to Panama City, Florida. My father was in the contracting business, and his father had a job down there, and so he went to work for his dad in Panama City. So we moved temporarily to Panama City, and God placed us next to a woman that was a believer. I don't know her name, all right? She had some sons. The sons liked to play football. I loved football even at five years old, right? And she loved to tell young kids about Jesus. And so that summer, she had a backyard Bible club, um, I don't know if y'all know Child Evangelism Fellowship. I don't know if it was a CEF event or not, but they had a backyard Bible club. And so I would go over, I would play football, and I was introduced to flannel graph, right? And she told stories on flannel graph about Jesus. And so I decided I wanted to ask Jesus into my heart. So I went to my mom and I said, hey, mom, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And I found out later in my life, my mother said, no, you're too young. And so I asked her the next night or the next week, no, Mom, I need to ask Jesus into my heart. Probably the neighbor was saying, you should ask Jesus into your heart. You should ask. So I go home, Mom, I need to ask Jesus into my heart. And so um, one night my mom and I sat down. We didn't sit down. We knelt down beside the bed as she was putting me to bed. And we both, I found this later in life. My mother was not a believer at the time. My mom and I both trusted Christ that night together, right? Um, rather significant for me that that happened, right? So this woman in Panama City, right, led me to Jesus, or she influenced my mother to the extent that my mother, even as an unbeliever, would take her son with her to faith in Christ. And so I grow up. We moved back after nine months. We moved back to Dallas, were raised, uh, go to church, go to school, become an engineer. Finally, we go to uh, Albania. We've had a chance to influence people over there. Her faith has impacted people in Albania. She does not know that. She has no idea. So Ruth probably didn't fully understand the extent of what she was when she was talking to David, what would happen. The youngest son, he was the youngest, or the second youngest son of Jesse. She probably had no idea, right, how it would turn out. Okay, so I've got only six or seven minutes, but Dan always tells me I can go to 11.15. So uh, to talk about a woman's faith. Now this story, really, there's five main characters in the story in Ruth. There's... Ruth, there's Naomi, there's Boaz, there's the women in the community, right? There's the community that surrounded them. 
including Boaz's brother-in-law or brother, whoever he was, and there's God, Yahweh, right? And I think all of these five characters acted with faith. I do. God was faithful to his promise to Israel. He was faithful to Ruth. To, and I also think about uh, Jesus when he says, um, you know, a wise man builds his house upon a rock. I mean, a wise man is like a man, uh, excuse me, a man that hears what I say and does it is like a man that builds his house upon a rock. Because when the storms of life come and they beat upon his life and the rain comes and the floods come up, his house is going to stand because this person hears what I say and he bases his life on it. He does what I say. And I think all of these people knew what God expected they knew the rules of a Jewish community, and they lived by them. Boaz could have, Boaz didn't have to do what he did, right? He could have, he could have just not talked to the city elders. He could have had relations with Ruth that night. He could have done a lot of things to get what he wanted, but he didn't do it. And all through this story, it's, you know, the Lord bless you. The Lord's going to take care of you. The Lord's given this to you. It's the community that's seeing God interact in the community. I think all of them. So just pick one and think about your story as if you were that person. But you gals, Ruth, okay? Um, you are a unique pebble, right? You are. All you, all you guys are too. But you women, you are unique. And I want to, you're unique in, in three ways, I think. At least three. How's that? Number one, you're a woman. And women are holistic. Women see life as a whole. Right? Men, we men, we compartmentalize. We have family, we have work, we have church, we have sports, whatever it is, and we have everything in its little box. And they don't necessarily impact each other. And, you know, we're kind of trained. Don't bring your work home. So we're trained. Keep your work right here in this box. Keep your family in this box. Keep your, what, you know, your faith in this box. But you gals are holistic you see all the interconnections of life. They all go together, all right? All your boxes are stacked like those Russian, you know, dolls or whatever. And I'm sure there's some kid's toy like this that boxes get stacked inside of them. That's the way you live life. Dudes are not that way. We should be more that way, okay? We should be. But American men are not. And I can't tell you so much about those guys over there. I don't think they are either. They're pretty compartmentalized. Gals, you are intuitive. You ever heard of females' intuition? You have it, all right? Whether we like to admit it or not, you have it. And I struggled this with yesterday a little bit. I was talking to my daughter about intuition. You know, what is intuition? 
you know, okay, I kind of see a situation and uh, I, my intuition tells me this is going to happen. But I still see the intuition and I still reason. You know, a gal walks in the room, something's wrong here. What do you mean? We just got here. You know, no, something's wrong. However it might work, um, you know, but you do have female intuition, and guys don't necessarily have that. Now, we might be able to look at something and then connect the dots, but I might not ever look at it unless Ann says, hey, Alan, you know, what do you think's going on here, right? I don't know, and nothing. Can't you see? There's nothing going. No, there's something going on. All right, she has intuition. When, when Ann and I went to the mission field, um, the the few years before we went to the mission field were the most difficult years in our life as husband and wife. The lead up to the mission field, uh, it was almost like, why are we together, right? We are just so on such divergent paths here. We cannot get together on a common road to the next part of our life. Anne would be like, be like you can't quit your job. Like, I can't work anymore. Well, you can't quit your job. Well, I can't work anymore. What are we going to do, right? If you want a husband that's going to work at that particular place, maybe you need a different husband because I ain't working there anymore, right? What are we going to do? And so one night, um, I, was over, I was at Faith Bible Church, and I was in Dave Anderson's office, and we were going to have an elders meeting over there. And he's, I'm talking to Dave. He says, Alan, women see the world in a way that you can't see the world. There's female intuition. Whether you like it or not, Alan, there is. And a wise man will listen to his wife. And I, it's exactly what he said, 2003, 19 years ago, almost, it could, it could be almost 20 years ago. I remember that conversation where I was sitting, where he was sitting. All right, a wise man will listen to his wife. And so, Anne, if, Alan, if Anne's resistant about going to Chad, Africa, all right, you should listen to her. There may be something there that you're not seeing. And you should take the time to try to see it or to talk to her about it, not just to say, ah, you don't understand, right? Um, so you guys, all right, this pebble that you're married to or that you're engaged to or whatever, you know, a wise man will listen to her because God's equipped her in a way that he's not equipped us and women are nurturing. Not doesn't mean men aren't nurturing, but women are nurturing. What does it say about Naomi? Naomi took Obed to her breast and took care of him. She nurtured him. And I think she nurtured Ruth also. Some for some reason Ruth had a special place. Naomi was special to her for some reason. So you gals are unique because you're a woman. You're holistic. You're 
intuitive and you're nurturing. Guys, we want to solve a problem, right? Anne tells me her problem, okay, solve it, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this, let's move on. All right, she's like, all I wanted you to do was hug me. I don't know. Like, Come on, you know, I'm not a hugger. No, <laughs> let's go. No, women, you nurture, you care, you see the way that the interactions work with each other. Um, you are so, you also uniquely created by God, who you are um, as you are. Um, some are tall, some are short. Uh, some have curly hair like my wife. Some have straight hair. Some have one figure. Some have another figure. All right? But you are unique in who you are. And the scripture says that we are fearfully, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully is like you are made by God. And this is an awesome God, right? And it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a carpenter that wasn't skilled, right? It wasn't a sculptor that didn't really know what he was doing. You were made by the master sculptor. Just like, and wonderfully, right? Especially you, who you are, as you are, is significant. And sometimes, you know, maybe we wished we were another way. But, hey, I'm a woman, and I was made just like I am by a God that knows what he's doing. Right? That's important. And also, you are uniquely gifted by God with a spiritual gift. Right? All you gals have a gift. It may be leadership right? It may be teaching. It may be serving. It may be hospitality. It may be showing mercy. We don't, I don't know what it is for each of you, but you have a gift given to you by God. He made you a woman. He equipped you with women's intuition. He gave you something that goes on inside of you that makes you holistic, he made you a nurturer, right? He made, he formed you in a perfect way for you. And he gave you a gift, a spiritual gift, right? And now he takes you and he throws you into a pond, right? And I, for me, for us guys, I think this is very important. And for you gals, too. But your life may not, it may be great, it may not be great. You may have a lot of kids, you may not have kids. You may be single, you may be married, you may be a widower, a widow. Your life, you, God's put you in a certain place. And that's your life, that's your life context. It's unique to you at this particular moment. Doesn't mean it can't change, but it's unique to you at this particular moment. And I think that's, I personally think this is significant for all of us, right? That we tend to think that faith, our faith life happens in this building right here, right? We come to church on Sunday morning, right? 
But we need to learn how to live our life like Jesus would live our life if he was living our life. Alan, married to Ann, four kids, you know, three, three of them are married, 10 grandkids, 69 years old, somewhat retired, an engineer, living in the woodlands. This is the pond where I am. And you, you can think about your pond what's unique about it, okay, that God has put you into. And when in that pond, when you get thrown in, you're going to make ripples. And so it's good for us to think about the ripples that we make. You know, are they kingdom of God ripples or are they just worldly ripples? Do I live my life according to the culture? Do I live my life according to the kingdom of God. Um, Anne came up with um, three things. She came up with a lot, but she told me three of them are important. Or, okay, One is that, so what do we do? How do you make sure that what's going on? How do you become a Ruth or a Naomi or a Boaz or the community of this story that we see, this faith story that we see that ended up in Jesus? We need to make sure we take care of our heart. That's number one. Right? Jesus said, hey, what, what comes out depends upon what's inside. Are we nourishing our hearts? Are we taking care of our hearts? Are we paying attention, right, to what Jesus is take, teaching us? Number one. And then she says that we need to make a choice, right, to let God use us. Ruth made a choice. She made a choice to go with Naomi. She didn't fully know what was going to happen, but she made a choice. I'm going to follow you, Naomi. I'm going to go where your God is. And a lot of times that choice is, takes a lot of faith, right? God's calling me to do something, but it, I don't want to do it. I don't see how it's going to work. But make a choice to follow Jesus or to be used by God wherever. Make a commitment that no matter the circumstance, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stick this out. I, wherever I go, wherever you go, I'm going to go. I'm committed. I'm committed to you. This goes to death. I'm going to death. I made a choice, Naomi. I'm going to follow you. All right? If it leads me to die, that's fine. All right? I am committed to the choice that I made. And then to be intentional, to look for opportunities to show your faith, to let your faith work in your life. You know, my mom, I could talk a long time about my mother, and the person that discipled me was my mother, and she didn't say, okay, Alan, let's sit down and have a discipleship time, right? She did it because when I would come home from school, she would be washing the dishes, and as she was washing the dishes, she might tell me about something that happened today, and one of the friends she prayed for, right? My father was not a nice man. He was a believer, but he was not a nice man. It was difficult on her. I watched her live in the context of a difficult situation, and I watched the way her faith impacted her life. I learned from watching her. 
but I'm confident she was intentional. She took opportunities. When I came home from school, when we did this, when I got a girlfriend, whatever it might have been, she used those opportunities to talk to me about the kingdom in her own way, right? She was intentional. And you might say, I don't have kids right now. I'm not around kids. You got friends, right? You've got coworkers. And faith doesn't have to be overt. It can be, and it should be at times. But do I live my life as a person of faith? And am I intentional as I'm around these people, right? Um, and I put live your life. So we're out of time. I have some other, I have five more applications, all right? God often works out his own purpose through human agents in the context of life. God sometimes does stuff directly, but the way we experience it, God is using you for his purposes, all right, in the context of your life. God, it may be your neighbor that God needs to bless, right? That may be what it is. And so he's using you today to bless your neighbor. It may be a coworker that needs some encouragement. And God knows that, so he uses you to be encouraging to your coworker. It may be one of your children, right? And you have no idea the way that God's going to use your child. You have no idea. But he's using you to train up your child to take your faith and put it into your child because that child is going to do something for me, Alan. Or that child may have impact on another person that's going to do something for somebody else. God uses, that's the way he uses us. And secondly, he often uses those that are least likely to succeed. You may think that God cannot use me. I am not equipped. I'm not capable enough. I don't have the resources. God typically, often, what we see in the scripture, all right, are people that we think God can't use them. Why is he using this person? He uses, it's not, the, it's not the big time great preacher that he uses. He does, all right? But he uses those that are most least likely to succeed. God can use you where you are, even though you might think, he can't use me. Not in the situation I am. Um, but the key is faith, right? Our commitment to Yahweh. Ruth made herself available to God. He, she could have said, no, I ain't going. Right? I'm going to go with my sister-in-law back. God would have worked something else out and she made that choice. Right? But her faith allowed God to use her. A single foreign woman connected to a sonless widow became the great-grandmother of King David, the precursor of the Messiah. Who would have thought Ruth, right? 
And the last one is the multicultural beauty of the faithful love of God. This may be the theme of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, right? She, in her line, we see in Matthew, was Rahab, all right? We see God, Perez, connected to Tamar, who was not, a, was not out of that family, right? God has got all the different nationalities. He uses all of them in his plan. He uses women in his plan. A lot of men forget that, right? Time after time after time, we see God using gals, ladies in his plan. The multicultural beauty of the faithful love of God. God is faithful, and he wants to show his love to his creation. And he's using, he's using all sorts of people. It's not restricted just to one gender or one nationality. Okay? Enough? 11.15? I got one more minute. All right, let me pray. Lord God, thanks for Ruth. Thanks for this story. Thanks for the coolness of it, that, uh, the, the beauty of it, the drama in it. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, you can talk to us in this way and you can train us in this way. And Lord, help us to let you use us just as we are. And I pray for the ladies of Creekside, Father, that you would uh, give them a vision for uh, your love for them, your care for them, your desire to use them, Lord, to see you at work in their lives and help them, Lord, to have impact far beyond they could ever hope or imagine. And Lord, for us guys, we ask the same thing, but help us to help the ladies around us or to support them, Lord, as you use them. And just uh, thanks for Jesus who gave himself for us, who died for us as we celebrate here the next week's uh, the impact of Ruth's faith as we see it in the life of Christ. And so uh, we give ourselves to you today. We ask your blessing upon us in Christ's name. Amen.